Yes, hello. Hello, all you who are online viewing us whenever you're viewing us. I hope you had a, a great week and welcome you all. Come on this Sunday morning at Faithbrook. You know, Faithbrook is all about uh, loving God, loving people, journeying together. And one of the ways we're, we're passionate about is loving people, especially people that are hurting. And you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been promoting this idea of the sacred settlement places for homeless people. And we've been partnering with one of our sister churches um, in St. Paul about uh, building these tiny homes and just kind of mentoring and bringing in these homeless families to live in these tiny homes. But their bathrooms and showers have to be in the church basement, and they needed to uh, outfit their, or remake their whole church to update them for these, these community of homeless people. And to bring them up to code and make it handicapped accessible is pretty expensive just for one uh, bathroom. So we ask you to give generously. I can report to you that we are very close to $4,000 that have been uh, donated on behalf of the Sacred Settlement Homeless Project. I'm really excited about that. We want to write them a big fat check and say, man, we're with you. We're not housing the homeless people on our property, but you are. And if any way we can help for this long-term, meaningful, uh, spiritual way to uh, build into people suffering with homelessness. Well, in the meantime, I want to invite you on a journey. It's called the Journey of Grace. Now, if you notice that on the platform, we got a couple of doors, and I'm going to explain what these mean and what they have to do with the journey. Because here's the deal. Every human being I know will pass through these doors. The first one is the door of birth. We never know when or where we're going to be uh, birthed, but we come into existence with no effort on our own or no control. And then we're going to pass through another door, and that's called the door of death. We never know when that day will come. In, will, will come. And a lot of times there's going to be questions. What's on the other side of that door? But in the meantime, between these two doors, we have a path. We have a journey and if you want, you can experience this grace that can be part of this path and journey. So the word grace is a very popular word. It's a big, broad word. It can mean a lot of things. A lot of times people want to hear grace. They might equate it with the gospel or Christ. Uh, they're really interchangeable. You say one to the other. It's like, yeah, that's grace. That's the gospel. Christ was into that. It comes from the Greek word Charis. And charis is where we get the word charm or charity. It comes from this charis. So, so sometimes churches love that word so much they'll put it to their title, the Grace International, Grace Community, Grace Fellowship. It's so much like Christ and so popular. In the Reformation of Martin Luther, he saw the word grace describing the attitude of God or the goodness of God, that he would use that word grace. Kind of reminds you of the Psalmist 103, when it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It kind of summarizes grace. More formal definitions would say, well, grace describes God's unmerited favor. This favor given to someone who deserves the opposite. God's just giving you this. Or God's undeserved love. It's an absolute, absolutely free expression of the love of God. One of the more unique 
descriptions of grace is a magical medicine of immortality. This medicine that you can have everlasting life that is poured into you. In fact, one of the first century Christian leaders, Ignatius, described God's grace or saw the Eucharist as the spout of grace. The communion cup, when we take communion, it is flowing in the spout of God's love and grace into it. Well, maybe this morning we can kind of land on more of a formal definition by a biblical scholar who described grace this way. Grace is God's spontaneous, unmerited love for sinful man, supremely revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going I'm to just ask you, let's read that out loud, that first sentence, okay, about grace. Grace is God's spontaneous, unmerited love for sinful man. Yes. Well, have you ever experienced grace? Where do we experience grace in our harsh society? Well, one place we can experience some grace is you ever heard a grace period for student loan. Maybe you graduated from college and your lender who, uh, said, now listen, we're going to give you a couple months to get yourself established. We're going to give you a grace period. There's not going to be fees. There's not going to be penalty. But after this grace period, you, you need to start giving. You're, you need to uh, start showing up with your to pay back this money. The grace period is free, but it's not unconditional. God's grace is a little different because we can never repay what we owe God. Someone said it is his grace that God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. We could just never be good enough, holy enough to appease and bring our salvation, justify our salvation. So what does the Bible say about grace? How does the Bible describe it? A lot of times you'll find, especially the writings of the Apostle Paul, he describes grace as a gift, especially when it comes to our salvation. One of the most famous uh, passages is in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, or other translations would say, not by works. It is the what? The gift of God. We see also his writings in Romans where he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he sees this as a gift. Sometimes that's hard to understand, but let's put it this way. How many of you are, are, are going to get excited about buying Christmas gifts for your kids? Okay, I know there's 237 days to buy Christmas gifts for your grandkids or your kids. Do your grandkids or your kids have to earn their Christmas gifts? Or do you just give your kids gifts at Christmas because you just love them? It's just part of your nature. Uh, can you imagine being like the Christmas song, Santa Claus is coming to town? He's making a list checking it twice, seeing who's naughty or nice. Hey, you better make sure that you're naughty or you're not getting the gifts. I don't know any parent that's like, ah, you were a rotten kid this week, no gifts. They just can't help but give it during when it comes to Christmas. It's just the nature. And this concept of this amazing grace is a gift from God, which we don't deserve, he just gives it to us, should transform us. And, and especially even how we view ourselves, our, our security of his amazing grace. 
Philip Yancey, a well-known Christian writer, was trying to explain this in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, said this, Since God did not initially love us based on our good behavior, how could better behavior make God love us more? In other words, God already loved us before we were conceived or born. He already went to the cross. He, he created us. And just because you can try harder and maybe be a better person doesn't mean his love's going to go higher. In fact, he says, similarly, how could worse behavior make God love us less? God's grace does not depend on what you do or how you behave, because this is the inclination or the nature of God's heart. He just wants to give us as a parent wants to give gifts because he loves us so much, no matter what you do. This showed up in a parable that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 20. They didn't understand it. He, he described it, or the writers of the Bible described it as the labors of the vineyard. So Jesus said, this is kind of my love. This is how I kind of work. I, I, I am the owner of the vineyard. There's grapes to be harvested, and I need some workers. And I'm going to pay this much. I'm going to be pretty generous this much. So a guy shows up at 8 o'clock. He says, I'll take that. I'll work for you. Fine. Another guy shows up at 11, and uh, the owner of the vineyard says, well, this is what I'm paying. And he says, well, I'm starting at 11. Great. Have at it. Another guy shows up at 3.30. They're ending at 5, right? And he says, well, that's, I told this is what you get. You start at 3.30, you, you get the same. Well, the guy at 8 o'clock, he's offended. He's been slaving away all day. He's like, what? That guy just showed up at 3.30. That is not fair at all. Yep, that's right. And this is what Jesus responded don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? In other words, I own the vineyard. I make the rules. I am the landowner. I'll do what I want. And this was the deal. Or are you envious because I am generous? What a beautiful phrase, generous. God's heart, God's grace, God's love is so generous towards us. Now, could you imagine if God wasn't so generous and he's really finicky and picky? It's like, now, now what? Now I'm going to be tracking all of you and making sure, man, you, you, you better measure up. And I got a little list on how many good deeds you've done and how righteous you've been, and you didn't do these things. And I'm going to be comparing people because we're going to figure out who's better than the other. And if you got, you got to make the grade. And, 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 and you got to outdo this person. What if God said, you know, I only have 2 million uh, residents in heaven, only 2 million. And whoever does the best, is, they're the only ones that are going to get the 2 million. What if you're like the third one past two million? Yep, sorry. Nope, you should have been there earlier. Uh-uh. No, God's grace is the, uh, the opposite. It's amazing. It's hard to describe sometimes. One of the, the places the Bible like this shows up, uh, God's unmerited mercy and grace to us is when he's dying on the cross. He's dying on the cross on, on the hill of Golgotha, Calvary. They put two common criminals next to him. And um, the Bible is saying that these criminals are watching him. The criminals realize that Jesus hasn't done anything. He's been framed. He's got this sign, king of the Jews. And they're like, I never saw him on the streets, never heard of this guy ever being a criminal. What's he dying? Romans would just put people, uh, crucify them to just make an example. And he, these guys are, are bleeding out. And they hear Jesus lifting up these people and say, Father, please forgive them. For they, they do not know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? They just crucified you and you're forgiving. And one of the, the criminals starts connecting the dots and it's like, this guy is different. This, this guy is the Messiah. This guy's the son of God. 
and his heart breaks, and he cries out to Christ and says, please remember me. Please remember me. I realize who you are. And the amazing phrase that Jesus turns to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, are, are you kidding me? This guy has, hasn't done the doors of a synagogue or his church, and he's just been a creep and a criminal. But that day he reaches out, and God's been willing to forgive him and say, today you're going to be in the same place as everyone else has been serving and been loyal to me. You will be with me in paradise. This gift, it's incredible. But more important than a gift, it is a person. A lot of times when we talk about grace, we want to see it as a, a theological doctrine. Do you believe in grace? And where does that come from? Maybe it's a, a church tradition. Oh, yes, grace. But my friends, it's much deeper than that. It's more personal than that because grace is a person. Let me tell you a little story about the per personhood and the power of the person of Christ as grace. Showed up in Acts 9 where the writer Luke is describing this really jerky guy named Saul. Saul was a Judaizer. He really loved his religion and Judaism, and he did all he could, and he rose up to be in the ranks of a, a Pharisee, and, and things were going well, and he was smart, and all of a sudden, there's these people who start bragging on this Jesus guy. They called him the people of the way, and they started uh, getting more popular. People started leaving Judaism and, and, and loving on this Jesus guy, and he hated that. He was just messing everything up. So he was just determined to eliminate this, the people of the way. So he started persecuting. He started finding out where they lived, making life tough. Sometimes they would get them in jail. Some people were even stoned and killed because they were following the Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. And so he finds out that there's these Christian people up in, the, in Damascus. So he gets this little posse and he starts going on this road. And all of a sudden, Acts 9 tells it that Jesus came down to him. And because of his incredible divine love and power and light, it knocked him off his horse. He's laying on his back. He's blinded. He's just overwhelmed with his consuming power of God. And the voice of Christ says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? He's confused. He's overwhelmed. He's like, I'm not sure who you are. And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And right there, he realized he was at the mercy and the grip of a holy God. Jesus could have just taken him out. Jesus had his, his, to his hand on his throat. He could have squished him like a bug. He realized he deserved to be crushed by this holy God that he's been irritating and persecuting. But yet, this holy God who had him by the throat released him. Follow me. I'm going to use you. He didn't even realize that what a leader he was going to be. I'm going to use you because of what? My mercy and grace. Eventually his life would be so transformed that he would take on the name Paul, the apostle Paul. See, Paul grew up in a, a religion that his salvation was, was pinned to his, his rituals, his actions, his, his tasks, his, his laws, right? But then he met Christ. And Christ was not a doctrinal theological statement or a tradition. It was a person. And when he met the Christ that was grace, he turned from a religion of rituals into a religion of a relationship. In fact, 
he wrote in the book of Romans that his, his former religion of laws and rituals was not very attractive. It was stale and strict. And Paul felt like he was always underperforming. And then he met the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And his religion turned into a relationship, a relationship of grace and love. And yes, some truth. Let's not make a mistake that every loving relationship has some boundaries. They have some expectations. If you're in a loving relationship with someone, you can't just turn your back on that person or ignore that person or, or not be involved with that person. No, but a loving relationship comes through with expectations. There is a growth. There is a, an intimacy. I, I love John 15, that Jesus said to the disciples that I want to be able to call you friends so many times. We live in a Christian religion that, that we are always under condemnation. We're always afraid that we're not measuring up and God's thumb is sticking with it. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The concept is that we just come together. You so love me because I've already loved you. That you know my heart. I know your heart. And there is a bond and there is a, a walk together that I call you friends. You know my heart. I trust your heart. We're going to be friends. This intimate love relationship with Christ. Now, this can be hard to explain to people because here's the deal. Most people want a system how to have a religion. In fact, when they're like, well, one day I'm not sure, but I'm going to have to go through that death door. And I believe there's something on the side, something spiritual on the other side. And so preacher, if you can just tell me what boxes I need to check and where I need to go and three things I need to do, and then I can be certified and, and I'll be good to go. But Christianity is not about rules and rituals. It's about grace, love, truth in this relationship. Paul tried to explain this to the Corinthians. He says, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They're like, what? It's all about the rules. It's all about the law, right? Not crucifixion. Jesus on the cross. What's, what's that? And foolishness to the Gentiles. You know, they're all about the culture. They're like, I don't care about Jesus. Ah, no, no deal. But those first Christians who got it, who got captured by God's grace. They wasn't preaching and communicating about some religion or system. They were preaching about a risen Savior, this Jesus, who is the Son of God that lived. You know, here at Faithbrook, we're part of a denomination, but you rarely hear us talk about our denomination because people are really not seeking denominations. They're not seeking institutions. They're seeking Jesus Christ. Just give me the gospel. Just give me the Jesus. Now, I'm thankful that we're part of a, a denomination, and they take on the name of Jesus. In fact, it's called the Church of the Nazarene. You know, church of that Jesus guy, his nickname was the Nazarene. Our churches want to be like that Jesus. In fact, one of our global leaders, uh, Dr. David Busick, wrote this about God's grace. The first Christians did not give their lives for a theory, a principle, or a life force. It was for and because of a person, a real person. Grace is a person of Jesus Christ. You know, I tried to explain this when I was younger. <clears throat> so in high school and college, um, God helped me, and sometimes I got to be invited to some of the parties. And back then, you know, if you were a cool guy, you were out drinking, carousing, going after women, and doing this, and smoking that and stuff. And I kind of avoided all that stuff. So they're like, hey, why didn't you show up at the party? You were invited. 
And sometimes in a private conversation, some people would like, hey, I don't, I don't understand why, Jim, that, that you don't go to, to, all, to all the parties. And a lot of times they would say, oh, I, I do know. It's because you go to church and your church and your denomination tell you you shouldn't do that. In fact, if you're going to be a member, you've you got to sign off that you're not going to do these things, and that's why you do it. It's like, no, 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 that's not why I do it. And then why you do it? Hey, it's all fun. You're missing out. And it's like, it's because of Jesus. Jesus, what? Like, you know, I just, I just have this relationship with him. I just feel in my heart, spirit, that I probably need to stay away from that stuff. Knowing my personality, I'd be getting involved with some substance before I know it. I'm going getting all addicted to it and stuff. So I'm just going to play it safe. I just feel that's what I need to do. And also, it kind of bugged me that there was nobody they could point to and say, now this person's authentic. This person's a real Jesus follower. Now, did kids go to church? Yes. Did they believe in God? Yes. But they were like, well, I don't follow Jesus. What's the difference? You just party on Friday, Saturday, go to church on Sunday morning. It's not, no different. I was like, yeah, I feel like God's calling me to maybe be a little different. So I'm just going to avoid that, do some things, maybe none of it. It, But it's not about my denomination. It's not about the rules. It's about this relationship. And that's hard for people to get their eyes and heart around. Because, see, the person of grace infiltrates or should infiltrate every aspect of our life. That's why we call it a journey. It's going to infiltrate when we're just kids. We're going to learn next week on Mother's Day about God seeking prevenient grace is working in our life. We're going to be learning about the end of our life. What's going to happen when you know, we start breaking down physically and scares me? I'm not sure. Will God's grace be sufficient for me? So I want to invite you on this journey. And what we're going to learn on this journey is that the more we comprehend God's grace, the more amazing it becomes. The more we understand this grace, the more it's amazing to us. Well, some might ask, well, are you just saying that God's just this big ball of love and grace? What about the injustices out there? What, what about sin? I heard that God is part of a law and order, right? It's true. The the same God, same Bible that says that God is grace and loving, giving. Same Bible says there's penalty for sin. There's a consequence for sin. But because of God's amazing mercy, not giving us what we deserve, we can live within his grace. Now, grace and mercy doesn't mean that, that God turns his back away from sin and injustice and like it doesn't matter. It matters a lot, especially your holy God, because part of your holiness is you're a loving God. And if you're a loving God, a holiness God, and, and, and your creation is getting abused, there's people getting smacked around, getting a, a, a taken advantage of and hurt and pain. Your love and your holiness, whoa, that is not right. And that, that father figure it's going to be our judge one day on the other side of that door. And he's going to ask us, man, I love these people. And my love and my holiness demands me to act. Can you imagine a really loving, holy entity saying, well, that's okay. You just do whatever you want. And, and you can cuss me out and you can ignore me and you can just, but, but I'm just going to say, yeah, it's okay. Come on into my heaven. That's weakness. That's, that's not loving. That's chicken right? But God's going to say, no, I love the world so much. I saw what you did, and you're going to have to have accountability for that. Now, by the way, we have all 
fallen short of what God expected. We have all offended God someplace. That's why we need to find God's grace. And this period between these periods may be short, might be long, but this is where God's arm of grace is. The law of his judgment and dealing with injustice is on the other side of that door, and it will show up. And because of that, there has to be a penalty for sin and injustices. Who's going to pay that penalty? It should be on us. But God was so willing that he paid our price for our sin. And can I remind you today that grace was not cheap. Grace was not cheap. You know, grace, get this, grace is free for us, but it wasn't free for Christ. It was supremely expensive for Christ. One of the best accounts you can find this is in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, where he's, he's getting insight, inspiration from God, and he starts describing and really prophesying what Jesus is going to go through. Now, we don't have time to go through that whole chapter of 53, but one of the verses, verse 3, just kind of cap- encapsulizes it here when it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man suffering, familiar with pain, horrific pain and torture. Like one whom people hid their faces from, he was despised. If you've ever seen The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson, you hardly don't want to watch it because it is so horrific and painful and bloody. And we held him in low esteem. And Jesus was hanging on that cross, man. People humiliating him, insulting him, mocking him, speaking, spitting on him. He knew about pain. It cost him greatly. That should have been us. They say that in the medieval times, it was common for royalty and kings to discipline their children when they messed up or they rebelled or whatever. They would just bring in a slave and they would beat that slave in front of their children. They're taking your punishment for breaking that artifact or not doing what you're supposed to do. We will beat this slave. My friends, this is what Jesus did for us. We should have taken this the scars. We should have taken the, the nails, but he came to our world. The difference between the slave is the slave did not have any choice. God the Father and Jesus had a choice. They had a choice, and he willingly took our transgressions. He took our iniquities so that we could be forgiven and free and live in peace with him. The more we comprehend God's grace, And understand this, the more amazing it becomes. And I would submit to you, the more we comprehend it, the more it starts changing us. We're we're thinking twice before we judge other people. Who are we? We're on this journey, and we were encountered grace. We, We think twice before seeking revenge when God could have brought revenge towards us. We start giving people a little bit more benefit of the doubt. God gave us a lot of benefit, didn't we? People of grace. You know, one place we have a really hard time being kind and giving people the benefit of the doubt to is ourselves. The dirty little secrets, a lot of times we are highly critical of ourselves. And so a lot of times, man, if we mess up, if we don't perform like we thought to, we, we do something wrong, and, and we're just sitting there like, oh, man, what, what a jerk, what a loser, right? And Jesus comes along and says, would you be a little bit more kinder to yourself? I have. I, I, I'm, I'm going to help you and, and, and forgive you. Forgive yourselves. Relax. 
live in my grace and my love. Doing some research on this word, charis, the Greek word for grace. Did you know it also means joy? It can be joyful. You know, when we realize what we've been given by God that we did not deserve, we get a little bit happy. Has that ever happened to you? In fact, I would, I would suggest, or sometimes it kind of shows up in worship services for Christians. They get a little bit happy. They get a little bit jiggy. When they're sitting there thinking about, man, where we're we becoming, God's grace, he paid it all for us, and, and his price, and he's like, yes, amen. So some hands go up, yes, I identify with that. Praise God, right? And let's not get too carried away. We wouldn't want to do that, right? Uh, sometimes we clap. We're clapping because, yes, we believe in that. It excites us. It's like saying, amen, yes, awesome. Because grace is something that's happened to us, can bring joy in our life. It also can, should propel us to living a little bit differently. We're like, we want to kind of give back because we've been given so much. It helps us to be motivated to be generous people, to serve, because God served us on the cross. We should have been on the cross. So where can I help out there instead of being so inwardly or, or selfish? Now, let me remind you that just because God's grace gave us this incredible gift or can give us this gift, if you receive it, doesn't mean we abuse it. Doesn't mean we say, oh, we can do any way we want, live any way we want at all. You're really not appreciating that gift. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be on this journey. We're going to be learning how, how this grace plays out in our life. We're going to be learning, discovering about saving grace. So if it's true that we're going to have a spiritual life on the other side of the physical life, where are we going to intercept God's saving grace? What does that look like? Next week is Mother's Day, and we're going to be talking about his seeking grace, because I would submit to you that God's Provenient or seeking grace, much like a mother's grace. Mothers are always thinking about their children. They're always looking next week, protection and drawing their children. We're going to be learning about that. We're going to be learning about how God matures us. We're going to be learning about God's sufficiency because when the chips are down, we're not really sure about life, especially when we get close to this door. When we lose our, our, our physical abilities, that's pretty scary. Will God be there, his grace? And ultimately, I hope that we learn on this journey about being people of grace, people of grace. You know, I hope that people who attend Faithbrook or, or watch Faithbrook, people would notice during the week that they were people of grace. So they, they're not so quick to anger. They, they are kind of calm. And people would notice, why, why are you so calm? Why, why do you give people the benefit of the doubt? Because you're people of grace. You're like, yeah, I realized where, where I've been given such a gift. And there's something different about it. What, what, if, we, what if God's grace starts spilling over to our communities? Instead of uh, neighbors fighting and political fights and stuff, we just a little bit more gracious, right? But a little bit more kinder. What if that spilled over into our communities and, and our state and our country and God just, God's nature of grace started infiltrating everyday life. What would that look like? The more we comprehend God's grace, the more amazing it becomes. <clears throat> the time was late December 1772. 47-year-old former slave ship captain John Newton now was a pastor in his study trying to figure out 
or to be given a song for the New Year's service that was coming to his congregation. He had nothing, and he would like to write a song. He's sitting there in his study, and he takes a pen, and he starts writing out his reflection. And what he wrote out that day on December 1772 is what we know today as the song Amazing Grace, probably the most famous, well-known Christian, modern-day Christian song. Many of you know the first verse. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch? Man, that, that, that's pretty rough, right? John Newton grew up in a kind of Christian faith, but man, the world looked so attractive. So he kind of walked away from his Christian faith and hit the high seas. He became a sailor. He could explore the world and experience everything the world had to have offered him. And oh boy, he enjoyed it. He did it all. He was such a good sailor. Eventually, he, he got his own ship at the ship captain. And in those days, where you want to find the money was human trafficking. I'm talking about Africans, black Africans. So he would sail his ship, pick up that human cargo, and ship it up to England and get paid off wealthy. He'd go back and forth. Hundreds of these black Africans shipped off to be slaves for the white man in England. Now, after these years, he's looking back. He's remembering all these faces. He's remembering the, the cruelty and the horrific conditions in those slave ships. What was he doing? What was he thinking? I once, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Historians tell us that a violent storm came on his ship. The waves were so huge, and, and it was brutalizing ships. The, the sails were torn. Even some of his crew men were, were thrown overboard because of the crashing waves. And he took the helm, and he realized, man, we're not going to get through this yet. This, this, this storm is taking us down. He started crying out for mercy. God, if you don't show up, we're, this ship is going down. It's already sinking. Please help wave after wave, and for 11 hours he, he tried to maneuver that ship the best he could to, to salvage it. And in that time, he was wrestling not only with the physical storm, but he was wrestling with his soul. Because he knew the only way he was going to survive this is a holy God. And he realized that he was so depraved. He was so far from God. So he cried out for mercy, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me of my sins. I, I'm probably going to die today. Would you forgive me? And that amazing God, who should have never looked that way of that man, came his way and so died for him and loved him that he gave him forgiveness. And so these years pass, he's thinking about this, writing that was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. He had a breakthrough. He realized what a sinner he was. And he came to faith, and somehow God saved that ship, and he limped it back home. He wanted to start a new life. He found new friends, new habits, and he started going to church. He started singing those songs and reading his Bible, and his life started changing. Pretty soon he, he got involved with the church, took some leadership, and people saw some pastoral giftings of him. So he entered into the the ministry, before he knew it, he was leading a congregation. Now, eight, after 18 years, he's this pastor reflecting all alone in his study, 
writing these verses out. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. He realized grace was just not one-time event in that boat, but grace can be a journey to walk with us through all the ups and downs through life. And it was grace that brought us safe thus far and grace that will lead us home when we face that second door that we never know when it's coming. I want to invite you today and let's stand and sing this song about this amazing God and this amazing grace. That he said these words. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. The more we comprehend the God's grace, the more amazing it becomes. Heavenly Father, we don't understand that sometimes that you would show favor on the worst of us and favor on the least of us, but it's amazing. And we want to appreciate that today as we close up the beginning of this journey that we're going to be on for the next several weeks. We thank you for these words of this song. We thank you for the words of the gospel that tries to help identify how amazing grace is. May we absorb it. May we live it. May we carry it. May we be people of grace. Would you bless these people as they go out to the highways and byways and stresses, perplexities of life. Would you give them grace and help them? We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.